Welcome to The Lead, a podcast where we learn how to get ahead in the media industry from the people who did it. I'm Nate Bramel. And I'm Noelle Lashley. In the last episode of Season 3 of The Lead, we have a conversation with the general manager of Newsy, Blake Sabatinelli. Sabatinelli began his career in local news in 2007 when he held roles such as online producer and executive director of new media for WFTS-TV in the Tampa, Florida area. He transitioned to director of new media for WJLA-TV in Arlington, Virginia in 2012. He then became the director of digital solutions for the EW Scripts Company in 2014 and joined their national news company, Newsy, the next year. Sabatinelli oversees Newsy's five bureaus as general manager. In this episode, we talk about the importance of pushing the boundaries of broadcast news, how to get around the limitations of social media platforms, and how to be a broadcaster that viewers want to invite into their homes. But first, a word from our sponsor. This podcast was created by the Cox Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management, and Leadership as part of its Innovation Fellowship Program. To learn more, go to grady.uga.edu slash Cox Institute. Thank you again after speaking last night and after speaking multiple times this morning for agreeing to sit down with us and do this. Uh, glad to do it. I like to talk. It makes it easy for me. <laughs> we'll give you all the opportunities to practice. Excellent. Do I, even more. I think we've, uh, we've had four hours of practice so far, so you know we're just, uh, just trying to you know, pile it in here. So, Blake, we wanted to start off, I think, just for our listeners who may not be totally familiar with Newsy, if you wouldn't mind just giving us a brief synopsis of what Newsy is. Sure. So we are a a multi-platform television news service. I know that sounds kind of jargony. It means we uh, make television on demand for OTT platforms like Roku and Apple TV, uh, Hulu and other platforms like that. Uh, we distribute a live channel, uh, next generation cable packages like Sling TV and YouTube TV. And we also have a growing cable presence. So, uh, sometimes it's just easier to say multi-platform television network. Uh, but the synopsis of it is we make TV no matter where you're watching. I'm someone who's looking at local news, but I know that local broadcast news is struggling a little bit to figure out how to get itself across all the platforms. And one of the things you said right before this when you were speaking in class was really interesting to me in that you own your own platform and that you don't rely on Facebook or Twitter or Snapchat to host you. You you say like the secret's actually in a different approach. So can you talk a little bit about that? So, so there's two different things that we really focus on. First and foremost, I, I would be, uh, I'd be lying if I didn't say that Facebook and Twitter are incredibly powerful platforms that you should be using them. They're great marketing opportunities. In some cases, they're great revenue opportunities, especially if you look at stuff like instant articles, their mid-roll ads, incredibly favorable, favorable ad rates. It's, it's not a bad place to be. My problem with those platforms is that they're not walled gardens, A, which means you have unlimited competition, and B, a small tweak in an algorithm can ruin your business. Uh, if you look at our presence on Roku, for instance, Um, That's our app. It's our code base. It's our audience. Now, obviously, that's a Roku audience as well. But the barrier to entry there is significantly higher. And then if you look at a platform like cable, 
that is a full walled garden. Getting there is incredibly hard. The amount of competition that you have in place is far less. And so your, your opportunity to be successful is much, much greater because guess what? Comcast isn't going to make an algorithm change that changes where my channel is. They're not going to be able to change what my content stream is. In the case of Facebook, they dictate the business terms and that's good for them and good for some people. But if you look at what happens with small algorithm changes to some of these businesses that are highly reliant on Facebook, it can be really scary. Controlling that audience and taking that control away from someone like Facebook, it's really, really important. I've heard a lot of, we need to be more present on these existing digital platforms, but I think it's a really interesting, and the more you talk about it, really good way to look at it in that if you control it and you can get people to come to it, then that's a way forward. Yeah, it's, it's, you have to play both games, but it's going to be really tough to build a business, a stable and secure business on a platform where you have no control of the total outcome. Uh, I'm just not comfortable doing that. Now, there are businesses that have done very well with this model. One of the students in the last class who spoke in uh, interned at Little Things. They've built a great business on Facebook. We have a business at Scripps called Simplemost that's built completely on the back of, of Facebook. And it's done incredibly well. But if you look at the long-term viability of a business, it's my belief that having a direct consumer touch point with far fewer options is much better for you. Just look at Netflix, for instance. It's their ecosystem that you're going into. It's their content that you can only get on their platform. And yes, they are beholden to the Roku's of the world and the smart TV manufacturers of the world. But for the most part, once you're in their ecosystem, they're in control. So once someone tunes into my channel or enters my app, I'm in control and we can control the terms of engagement. And that's really important when you're trying to build a, a strong, sustainable, long-term business. You talked about balancing OTT content, as well as cable content, as well as these shorter packages that are getting a lot of looks on Facebook. What does it take to make sure that you're balancing all three or all of the different um, outputs that you're having? And has there been any particular area that you've seen the most growth in that you're trying to expand in? Yeah, so we're definitely, yeah, we put most of our production effort and time uh, into the short form packages that end up on our over the top platform. So if you look at what we do on Roku, for instance, it's a near linear experience. So we stitch together our latest stories and they go in a sequential order. So you can't watch Newsy Live there, for instance. Those short form packages also feed Newsy Live. We try to make sure things can live everywhere. But if you look at the two areas that we focus on the most, uh, from an editorial perspective and from a monetary perspective, it's definitely making sure that the output is in place for those OTT platforms. And then the we have the content in place to then feed into some of our live shows and uh, other productions that we have for Newsy Live, like the Why or the Day Ahead or the Briefing, which are reliant on those assets that kind of fire both directions. For our listeners, can you clarify what exactly OTT is? Sure. Over the top, um, the easiest way to uh, really break it down is uh, televisions that deliver, that's delivered uh, over the top of a cable provider or over the top of a, a broadcaster. So it's de delivered all over the internet. Um, it was uh, termed that coin or uh, deemed that name at some point in time, I believe, because you could go over and around. But uh, all I ever think of when I think of it is the Sylvester Stallone movie where he arm wrestles. Um, <laughs> and I think that's uh, uh, many people uh, of my age think the same thing, too, uh, including my family. Like, over the top is, you know, Sylvester. No, 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 no. Internet delivered television. 
One of the things I really like when I'm watching newsy content is that your anchors and reporters also look like real people. They look like someone I would be friends with or would just talk to on the street as opposed to sometimes when I'm watching cable news or local news, like you said in class, the big bouffant hair, the the lean forward on the desk, that kind of thing. Have you noticed that people respond better when there's people who look like them? So it depends on the audience. In the last round of research that we did, we found uh, that about 72% of people did prefer to see someone that looked more like them and sounded more like them. But that doesn't mean that there's not, you know, 20 to 30 percent of people who want that uh, that true authority figure. That's not going to be us. You know, you're saying that these people look like people you could associate with people that you that are talking to you instead of talking at you. That's very much by design. Making sure that we're delivering our stories in a real and authentic manner is a big part of what our business is and how we operate. I always tell people, I'm going to step back a second. I always tell people about the craziness of television news that relationship that exists in television news. And they're like, why do people like call and act like uh, they send you gifts and they act like you're your friend? Uh, that relationship is special. When you turn on the TV, you're inviting someone into your living room. And I think one of the disconnects that we see in news right now is yes, we're inviting people into your living room. I would invite that person to my living room. I don't know these people but I would certainly invite some of the folks that I put on my air into my living room because they seem like normal people I would talk to on a regular basis. So it's about taking that, that real personal relationship that you have on television to start off with and really just simplifying it and say, is this someone you would want to talk to? And the stories that you choose to tell, like some of those examples that you showed in class, just really getting into like what is really interesting to people? What do people really care about? Who are these people as opposed to just talking head, house fire, the end? Yeah, it was Dr. Herndon who made that joke to me about if you watch this local news channel, and one of the students was saying he would believe that every building in Atlanta had, had burned down. And if you watch cable news, I think you would believe that the only thing that's happening right now is Donald Trump sitting on a couch tweeting. Well, that's not the case. He's out doing his job. He's working hard. Uh, there's obviously more that he does than tweets. That's all we talk about for some reason. There's obviously a whole lot more going on than, you know, a lot of the topics that are covered. So our whole objective is really to kind of step back, make sure we're talking about the stuff that's important. If there's a breaking news story. Let's, let's really get into it and make sure that people understand what's going on. But also talk about the issues that matter to America. Talk about human trafficking. Talk about the opioid crisis. We've been covering the opioid crisis for nearly two years at this point. It's just now starting to get traction in the press. Let's go talk about the DAPL protests. We were the first news organization on the ground for that because we said, hey, this is a really important issue. And guess what? It ended up being a really important issue. There's so much more going on in the world. There's so much more that people need to know about. There's so much more context that you can bring to news than just about what the president's tweeting about or, you know, another sixth hour of analysis of a horrible, horrific terrorist event. Yes, that happened and we should be talking about it. But also doing an hour of analysis on this guy's life is not doing anyone any favors. There's no, you're not bringing any additional value. And the 10 guys that you have on air talking about it right now, they're not bringing any value either. They're just all making sure that their opinion was the last one heard. So, you know, it, it's our goal every single day to turn that camera around and tell stories that people need to hear. Not that they want to hear, no echo chambers, no nothing, need to hear. People need to hear about what's going on in the world and not, uh, they don't, 
instead of just, you know, I want to confirm my own bias. What is the specific type of journalist you're looking for? Is there, are, are there certain types of characteristics or a difference that you think Newsy specifically is looking for versus other platforms? Uh, we watch a lot of tape, I'll tell you what. Um, and you try to look to see if you can, especially if you're looking for on-camera talent, it's looking to see if you can, if there's something behind the, there's a lot of kids that have gone through local. Can you get past the local veneer? Um, is there some kind of level of authenticity in there? Um, you know, I look at examples like Philip DeFranco, who delivers the news incredibly well um, on YouTube, and that connection that he he's making eye contact with you. And we're looking at anchor candidates, reporters to go on air. We're looking for that. You know, do I feel like you're going to come walk through the screen and talk to me? Are you talking to me or are you talking at me? Um, and that's a real hard, tangible thing to measure. But you know it when you see it. For the people that are off camera, uh, for our writers and our producers, our graphical talent, everyone else that does, you know, all the things that make us look and operate like we do, it's that flexibility and that willingness to learn and get in there and know that you're going to have to do everything and know that we might change some, we might change how you're thinking about stuff. And be willing to do that. Because there's a lot of folks who's come in there and say, well, I learned this in college. Or my last shop, we did it this way and I want to do it this way. And it's, well, this is how we do things. This is why we operate this way. And, you know, we, we have to do this. And, uh, you know, both on camera and off, it, it's, it's really about that, that flexibility and that willingness and that willing to work as a team. You know, we, we were talking a little bit about modular production in one of the other classes. We do a lot of very, very heavy modular production, which means you might have to stop halfway through what you're doing and give off what you're doing. And you might not get credit for it. And you have to be okay with it because that's how we produce. But, you know, really being flexible is, you know, step number one. And for those of us who are looking at trying to work in local broadcast news after we graduate. You said local news has a veneer to it. There's a there's a brand, there's the reporter voice that they look for. How do you think that those of us just starting can start to change from that veneer when we are just starting? And one of the things that's so important that you have to do is continue to be yourself um, and talk to people about why you think it's more important to be yourself. Because guess what? You're going to get male or female, you're going to get coached on how you should look, how you should sound, why this is that. And I think it's okay to say, well, that's not how I sound. That's not how I speak. It's not how I look. You know, this is how I look. And you may get frowned at, and that's tough. But the sea is definitely changing. There's a lot of companies around uh, around this country right now that are looking at things the same way, trying to make that sea change and make sure they can retain new or old viewers and, and get new viewers, the, the younger folks who have just completely abandoned local news. Um, it's not going to be a really fast process, but as long as you remain true to yourself and be the person that you really are, I believe that 99% of people appreciate that more um, than something that's fake. I know the scope of Newsy is huge. It's set up that you said that 11% of your viewership is overseas. You cover stories around the world. You also said that the whole team of Newsy is around 100 people, which is relatively small. Uh, I'm curious, what does it take and how do you guys cover such a wide scope of news effectively with such a small team? And what does that look like planning the blueprint as you start to grow? 
Uh, it really starts with people that I have nothing to do with. Uh, I'll be honest with you. So I'm, I'm so, when I, when I took over Newsy, I was so uh, really, truly blessed to be given a team of people who are absolutely incredible. So Christina Hartman, my head of news, uh, and Tony Brown, my head of product and technology, had really been the architects of this ecosystem and this, this, this technology and workflow that we have in place. Um, you know, in our peak, we were doing something along the lines of like 50 stories a day with 50 people. Um, and we've kind of narrowed that down a little bit and slowed down and we'll start to expand that back out a little bit. Um, but I mean, it's, it's a lot of work. Um, we have a lot of people in place who just understand what has to get done. They're willing to come to work every day and put it all on the line. And kind of, as I was speaking about with the other class, We've tried to find every operational efficiency that we possibly can, uh, whether it's you know automation of, um, of our captioning uh, or writing our own dashboard and software that controls everything from our publishing to multiple platforms all the way through our teleprompter app, which is custom. Um, we just try to make sure that we're looking at every and looking under every single stone that we possibly can to find that extra 30 seconds because we, as we scale up, you have to find it and the you know the limit of human potential is great but also we you know you don't want to grind people into the ground so you just have to make it as easy as possible for them uh, and find those efficiencies along the way that allows them to be creative and have this ability to tell the stories that they want to tell because that ends up being the stories that people want to hear um, all while uh, supporting them and giving them the tools that they need to make it happen fast it's 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 an impossible balancing act, and it's all put on by, uh, it's all built on this you know incredible infrastructure that our head of news and our head of technology put together, and then the teams that work under them uh, just are really fantastic. And for students who want to work at a company like Newsy when they graduate, but come into a program that is still very focused on broadcast news, like when you're on camera, you're presenting for local news. How would you recommend they best learn how to present themselves as just, this is who I am telling you something that you need to know? Man, that's a tough question because uh, you don't want to piss off your professors, obviously. Um, and I was pretty encouraged just you know, sitting and looking at how you guys produce here to start off with. It's very smart. It's very innovative. The personality side of it, it really just comes down to you. Um, we hire a lot of folks out of local. Um, it's the biggest career track for a lot of uh, young journalists. Um, so you end up with a lot of people who have local TV experience. Like I said, it really comes down to that glimmer uh, in someone's eye. You can see it. Um, it happens instantly and you're like, all right, that person, that's the person we need right here. Um, but just as a start, it's asking your professors, like, is this what people want? It's okay to ask questions at college. It's okay to ask questions in general. That's the field that we're in. So look, if you are this super polished, um, very professional person, and that's how you look and how you sound, then you're going to come off authentic. That's that's who you are, right? If that's not, then you're not. And so it's okay to start asking questions like, is this what people want? Is this what people need? Because last I checked, people don't like that. If you go look at any of the research, it's, well, my... My anchor is phony, or they're, uh, they you know, don't seem like real people. They're, they're too polished. 
you can not be polished. You can still wear a suit and tie and be a normal human being. Definitely. Well, I think that is all the time that we have. Thank you. Thank you, Blake, so much. It was great to talk to you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the season three finale of The Lead Podcast. We will be back with more interviews with media leaders in January 2018. This episode was produced by Nate Brammel and Noel Lashley with special help from Keith Herndon, director of the Cox Institute at the University of Georgia. For more episodes with media leaders, go to soundcloud.com slash the lead podcast or find us on Twitter at the lead podcast.